All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the sixth day of September 2016. As I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and I must say that we are having uh, one of the best years we've had in a number of years uh, since uh, 2010, 2011. Uh, this is really a, a wonderful year for those of us on the long side of the gold uh, markets and the gold share markets for sure. Uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Uh, and you can uh, subscribe to both my letter as well as Chen's letter at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I want to thank each of you for listening, making this one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, send your questions and comments along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com questions the number for Taylor at gmail.com I want to also uh, thank our sponsors uh, for today's show for making this show economically viable they are Coral Gold New Legacy Gold Corp Brazil Resources Novo Resources Columbus Gold and RN Resources well, today there is some very positive news for Novo Resources that uh, has driven the stock up by over 10%, at least earlier in the day that was the case. You can review that news by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, simply click on the link on the homepage under the heading, Gold Stocks Are Soaring, But Which Ones Will Rise the Most? That's a major heading, but there you'll see at the very top, uh, Novo Gold had a, a, an announcement today that has really uh, caused the, stocks, the stock to come alive. I do expect to have Quentin Henning, uh, Dr. Henning of Novo, with me sometime in the near future to talk about his search for the next Whitwaters Rand-like deposit. Certainly a lot of very exciting news coming out of northwestern Australia uh, at the uh, uh, at, at uh, Dr. Henning's project there, Novo Gold's project. And uh, again, read about it at uh, go to miningstocks.com, click on the link, and it will take you right to the press release of today. I've titled today's show, The Trump Revolution, The Donald's Creative Destruction Deconstructed. Alana Mercer, Ralph Fitch, and uh, Michael Oliver is with me. He'll be speaking to us in just a few seconds here. The title of today's show is taken directly from Alana's book, The Trump Revolution, The Donald's Creative Destruction Deconstructed. Well, last week we had Lou Rockwell on with us, and he noted that he's not a big fan of Donald Trump, Trump but one of the things he does like about Trump is that he has all the right enemies. And Alana states in her book that Donald Trump is a, is smashing an, an enmeshed political spoils system to bits. 
We uh, know now that Hillary Clinton used her office as Secretary of State to enrich the Clinton Foundation to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars by uh, presumably granting favors to corrupt foreign dictators. And her warmongering neocon status and close association with George Soros means that our endless wars will continue forever if she is elected president. In short, Hillary is about serving Hillary. It certainly seems that way to me anyway. And, and, and that is at the expense of the American people. It's uh, the tragedy of it all. Though, of course, she maintains the exact opposite. And there are enough people around, a lot of people around, who are willing to believe and take her at face value. On the other hand, uh, we should ask, if, if Trump were to follow up on his campaign rhetoric, is it possible that the evils of our very corrupt military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us against could be smashed to bits, as Alana suggests? And what might a Trump presidency mean for the cause of liberty? All those and more questions will be asked of Alana Mercer. Well, gold shares have been on a tear recently since about mid-February. Um, and, and the shares of the exploration companies especially have outperformed the blue chips. So I'm really pleased to tell you that after our first commercial break, Ralph Fitch, the president and CEO of Trimetals uh, Mining, will be with us to talk about his company's exploration success uh, with its open pit heap leach project uh, that uh, straddles Nevada and the U Utah borders. So Trimetals has recently reported some very high grade or some certainly some higher grade assays and we'll ask Ralph uh, to what extent that may be favorably uh, impact the company's economics on, on this project that they're moving forward. Fundamental analysts like to look at causes for stock prices to rise. Of course, with gold now in a new bull market, the shares of mining stocks have risen dramatically given the leveraged nature of gold mining economics with the rising price of gold. Regarding fundamentals in terms of uh, the demand for mining shares, I just have to recall a remark that Bill Gross recently made in which uh, he said he was bearish on both stocks and bonds, but he suggested that people should start to buy those assets that the central banks have not yet purchased. Well, lo and behold, we now know that given negative interest rates in countries like Switzerland and Norway, the central banks of both of those countries are buying gold mining stocks. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing, the idea that central banks would be buying gold mining stocks. No wonder gold shares are on a tear. You can see which mining companies both the Swiss and Norwegian central banks are buying. If you go to miningstocks.com, scroll down to the page to a section titled, Why the Gold Price is Headed to the Moon, and click on the link in an article titled, Central Banks Now Buying Gold and Silver Mining Stocks. In that article, you can see which gold and silver mining stocks both the Swiss and Norwegian central banks are buying. Of course, this is absolute insanity and evil policies carried out by central banks, in my view, certainly. Uh, keep in mind that these criminals are doing what every mafia don dreams of doing that they are printing money out of thin air and using that to buy real assets and you have to think that if things keep going like they are the central banks with their sh uh, their shareholders uh, that own them will basically be owning the whole world leaving the rest of us in poverty well that is uh, certainly my view that this is just sheer Keynesian insanity. Uh, I'm really glad to have Michael Oliver with us. Michael always sort of calms me down and makes me feel a little better. So thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. I, uh, unfortunately, my phone is beeping, and I uh, will have to that. <laughs> Somebody's calling me, and they weren't aware that I was on uh, on with you. Uh, uh, okay. I apologize for that. Uh, as well, far as the, uh, the gold and silver situation, a lot of uh, traders were rattled again, as they were in uh, May, 
uh, during August because there was a sharp sell-off, particularly in the gold miners. And I'm not always calm, uh, but our, our methodology is different, and we don't uh, scream, run screening, screaming from a room because the price is dropping, unless <laughs> the price action is doing some damage to a momentum situation. Mm-hmm. And what I think a lot of investors need to really get into their heads is this upturn in gold and silver is not a trading upturn. Uh, these markets broke out of a base, momentum base, if you could see a momentum oscillator instead of a price chart, that was like three years wide. And uh, they did it in February. Silver did it when it came up through 15. Gold did it when it came up through the mid-1100s. And, of course, we're sharply above those levels now. And in the process of this initial massive first wave of a new likely multi-year bull, bull market, you're going to get jiggles, and some of them are going to be sharp. After all, the gold mining sector as such is it's a fairly illiquid sector, so you can, uh-huh. it, can, it can move like a wild child. Sure. I think that the people in that sector need to decide, are you a trader? Are you looking for two- and three-week swings? Or are you in there for something potentially much bigger? And there's good, solid, fundamental reasons that you've made the case for, and many have, for, the big, for a big move up. We know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm arguing from a massive long-term technical perspective annual momentum that this is big it's the start of something big it is not a trading move uh quit interpreting uh i suggest that people quit worrying about little short-term things like where their money growth is uh, down this month or the past three months or whether the fed is going to do something uh, or whether they believe in some cycle theory and we're going down in silver for the rest of the year and I, you know i i hear all this constantly uh in emails from from uh, prospective subscribers and so forth. So I mm-hmm. sort of collect this, uh, this sense of fear. And I think yeah. come that uh, the people in this market re- need to realize the monster that they're in is a monster, and it's going up for a long time. So uh, hang in there is the message. Yeah, well, well Michael, you, you've, uh, you, know, you certainly were very, very calm and very, very collected and very uh, certain about this, uh, you know, threat to a decline. Uh, lots of technical analysts, uh, not momentum guys, but people that just look at price charts, uh, were suggesting that we were in for something quite severe on the downside. And you saw just as a congestion, uh, you were apparently right. Today we're seeing gold up twenty-six dollars and seventy cents. A little while ago, thirteen fifty-three, and now those same analysts are backing away from what they were fearful of. Uh, what was it that you saw then? It was basically your momentum work, I guess, that told you, and and you know, well above that structure, you hadn't the structure hadn't broken down, and and so you were quite convinced that yeah, there may be some gyrations here and there, but uh, but basically, from a from an investor's point of view, don't panic, just stay long. Mm-hmm. Stay long. Now, you know, unfortunately, some people get long high, and are yeah, what you sure. call trend trend followers or trend chasers. Uh, and we try to encourage people to get in early in a move before you know, it becomes publicly obvious to every upright human being. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's still not too late. Uh, this break we just had was a buying opportunity. The one in May was a buying opportunity. This is an annual momentum uptrend. It's not something that's going to be measured in hindsight in months. It's going to be measured in quarters and years. Okay. Uh, well, you need to approach it that way. Don't get too levered up at the wrong spot, view it as a big move. 
Well, Michael, you're, uh, you've held pretty steadfast to this range where you thought we would see the first significant resistance, and it's 1470 to 1540. And as you say, you know, gold is at 1350 today. So, uh, you know, that, that leaves uh, quite, a, quite a move yet. I mean, that's another $120. Silver is likely to find resistance around 27. I think a recent high is like 21. Uh, the GDX, the gold mining, unlevered gold mining ETF, which is under 30 right now, I still think it's going to 39. And at those levels, at that point, MSA will uh, get more cautious, not about a top, a major top, but of, of, of something more protracted in terms of a correction. But mm-hmm. right now, no. Yeah, is it too early? Is is it too early for you, Michael, to to have a sense of what the downside might be once we get into that range? It's, it's just too early, too early, probably. Yeah, I don't I don't have a good handle. I, I'm not sure the downside is going to be serious. It may be one of these situations where when you hit those resistance zones, you spend time. Yeah. Six months or so, not a month or two, but six months or so laboring, building a range. Uh, it's not necessarily an issue that it's going to drop back sharply so much as that's a barrier. Those, those levels mm-hmm. are barriers in terms of momentum, sure. not in terms of price. And that those barrier levels look like it's going to take a fight to get through them. Sure. But getting yep. there uh, could be fairly quick. I mean, we broke out in February uh, in gold and silver, and we're already uh, substantially higher, especially the GDX. And the, the, the rest of the move I'm talking about is actually less than what we've already done. Michael, you're, uh, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned your, your, own, um, your own words. You're, you're suggesting that that's quite a spread between 1470 and 1540 uh, uh, before we meet resistance. Uh, do you think when we get a little closer, you'll be able to narrow that down a bit? I, I may be able to. Yes, I might. Yeah. Uh, it's various indicators that give me zones of resistance. Uh, it might be a three-year average oscillator or a quarterly momentum chart or whatever. And I look at the longer-term momentum studies, and I look at where the resistance is. Much like a price technician would look at a price chart looking for resistance, you know, a, an old floor above you that if you bump it, you're going to stall. I look at the same thing, but I look at it in momentum, and it's usually more accurate that way. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I come up with. I come up with when I convert it back to a price level, those are the levels I'm looking for, and that's still substantially higher. Um, and that's not the end of the bull market. That's just a big first resting place. All right. Well, you know, let me ask you one quick question then before we let you go for today. With regard to uh, silver, you still see silver outperforming uh, gold in this bull market, and secondly, do you still see the gold shares continuing to outperform the bullion? In my weekend report, I adjusted that somewhat. I still see them outperforming gold, but not at the pace they have. Uh-huh. Uh, the GDX is up 100% on the year. Gold's up 25 or so. Yeah. So it's been massive in a matter of you know six, seven months. Leverage. Yeah. The, 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 the movement of the gold miners versus gold. I don't think that pace will continue. I think they, they'll probably outperform gold, but I wouldn't be hesitant now for a newcomer in the market uh, to say, yeah, it's a coin toss, whether you buy bullion, bullion equivalent, or you buy gold miners. Uh, All right, the, we're going to... Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to have to leave a go at that, Michael. We're out of time, but always a pleasure talking to you. Always uh, eagerly wait your, your discussion on the markets because you have been so consistently spot on. So thank you very much for taking the time to share with our listeners. Greatly appreciated. You're doing a, a great service. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. We do have to take a commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Ralph Fitch. He's the president and CEO of TriMetals Mining. That's a company with an exciting gold mining project uh, with lots of upside potential. 
This uh, company's project uh, is located on the border. Uh, both It actually straddles both Nevada and Utah, and we've talked to Ralph Fitch before. He's going to give us an update as soon as he comes back after the break. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project, located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. million. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rhea Uranium Project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Ralph Fitch. He's the president and CEO of TriMetals Mining. Uh, he was with us uh, a few months back uh, to, to introduce the story of TriMetals Mining to you. It is an exciting story. It is a stock that I personally own. It is a recommendation in my newsletter as well. company trades in Toronto under the symbol TMI. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol TMIAF. Uh, in U.S. money today, selling at around $0.23, cents, giving it a market cap of about $35 million. So it's really a very small micro-cap company at this stage yet. But it has uh, a lot of ounces of gold in the ground, and, uh, and Ralph Fitch is, is working hard to expand those ounces, increase the resource. It's a very exciting story, so I want to thank you, Ralph, for joining me today. No, it's a pleasure. It's always great to be on your show. 
It's always good to have you, and I should mention for those that maybe not aren't familiar with your background, uh, Ralph, that uh, that you have had a long time, a lot of years, some fifty years of international exploration. You are a geologist, uh, a science, a geoscientist, and uh, very much involved in making uh, various discoveries. Being a part of teams that have made discoveries in South uh, South America, Australia, West Africa, South Africa. Uh, and here in the United States, and you're working on an exciting one right now, for sure. You'd worked with Chevron in the past, received the Chairman's Award for uh, for your part in the discovery of the uh, Ungina deposit and the Kalawasi Copper Porphyry Project in Chile. So, uh, it, it, Ralph, you uh, the last time we spoke, um, you were talking about uh, the desire to increase your grades. You already had a very a very uh, robust pr- uh, preliminary economic assessment in mid-2015, I believe it was. Uh, but before we get to your results and your exploration results so far this year, I'd like you to perhaps talk a little bit for the benefit of those who may not have heard your first discussion with us. Talk to us a little bit about your Cold Springs project that straddles Nevada and the Utah border and, and perhaps a little bit about the economics of that project for those that aren't familiar with it. Yeah, no, it'd be a pleasure. So, Trimetals Mining uh, is focused on this uh, project called Gold Springs, and as Jay says, it's right on the Nevada-Utah border. It's about 76 uh, or 74 square kilometers in size, and the sort of remarkable thing about it, as a geologist, and also I'd, I'd say to a layperson, is there's 26 areas of outcropping gold mineralization of more than one gram per ton. And uh, wow. you know, a typical grade for a heat leach mine in Nevada might be 0.6 of a gram. So you've got stuff that's really interesting, uh, literally outcropping or sticking out of the ground. And when we got there, there was very few drill holes in this entire area. Uh, a couple to give a sort of hint of what might be there. Uh, but we put together this large land package and then we flew some geophysics, uh, which sort of sees subsurface, and built this picture of why all these areas of outcrop were connected and why we thought it was such a really good target to uh, look for gold. And in fact, the, what as a geologist, and we're allowed to do this as geologists, uh, we think that the whole property position, the sort of thing we're sort of driving towards eventually with a lot, lot more drilling than we've done now, would be maybe three to five million ounces. So something we think we've got a target that has substantial upside potential. At the present time, as Jay said, we've done this uh, thing in Canada they call a preliminary economic assessment. Uh, it's like a sort of scoping study with some engineering in there to, to uh, sort of get the numbers right. And that came out very strongly, um, you know, plus 130 million uh, NPV, at a 5% discount, uh, 92 million after tax. And this is with a resource of 903,000 ounces approximately. That's if you add all three categories, that's the uh, measured indicating the inferred categories of resources uh, together, um, you get and uh, use the gold equivalents. So that's thinking of silver as gold, but since silver mm-hmm. is worth a lot less, it's just a sort of small fraction uh, per ounce of silver, is just a small fraction of an ounce of gold. But you add them all together, about 900,000 ounces, 
And that's sort of where we were at, and we're very pleased with the economics of that. But we realized this year that we had this uh, sort of high-grade area that uh, you were mentioning earlier. We call it the Thor Bain system. And in there, we'd found quite a lot of outcrops of 4, 5, uh, 10 grams per ton uh, at the surface. And we realized that if we could find enough ounces for, say, the first couple of years of an operation, which were much higher grade than our average grade, then uh, we would be able to significantly enhance the net present value and the IRR or the rate of return on the on the project. And so this year we've started off uh, drilling that high-grade zone. And, and I can certainly talk about some about that some more uh, later in our conversation. Well, certainly would like to know when you might have some new numbers for us, Ralph, when that uh, resource might be increased and, and what the grades would be, but I'm sure it's you just don't have enough data points yet to calculate that. But when do you think you might be able to give us some insights into that? Well, I think, you know, our first... Um, release on the drilling uh, was it's only on um, two and a half holes so very limited we've done 10 holes now there mm-hmm. uh, in this four zone but uh, we released it because the results were the sort of thing that we were really looking for and mm-hmm. you know there was a sort of headliner number there of uh, seven ounces per ton over a, an interval of about five feet which is obviously very very interesting but really, our target was uh, further down in the press release where we talked about uh, we had the three drill holes actually intersected veins right up the surface, uh, which were running around four or five grams per ton. And that's exactly the sort of material we're looking for to create this, as it were, sort of starter pit resource of maybe 50 or 100,000 ounces, something of that order. Nothing particularly large is needed. Uh, and uh, as maybe the audience may understand, is what you're trying to do is pay off the capital very quickly. Sure. So if you sure. have a much higher revenue from those higher grades, uh, you can do that very, very quickly, and, you, and then you sort of really uh, jack up the net present value and, and the IRR. Sure. Ralph, uh, did I hear you right? Uh, I'm not sure. I think you said seven ounces. Did you mean seven grams? No, I didn't, actually. It was... Um, it's an interesting story. This, uh, as we call it, sort of structural corridor or zone where uh-huh. these veins go through is roughly north-south. Uh, uh-huh. But in the old days, um, people used to, um, the early prospectors found this sort of four or five ounce material uh-huh. lying on the surface. And uh, no one had really ever found it in outcrop. And mm-hmm. um, we haven't found it at the surfaces yet, but we did in this drill hole about 500 feet down. Um, mm-hmm. find this very, very high-grade material. But at this point, Jay, it's, you know, spectacular, but it's just one point. So we shouldn't, sure, exactly. you know, read it, too much uh, into it as yet. Of course, of course. But if you find some of those, it certainly could sweet, sweeten the averages, I would think. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, you, you, what, Ralph, what about what percentage of your ground have you explored and drilled? You mentioned 26 uh, 26 outcrops uh, grading, uh, yeah. you know, with, with samples over a gram per ton. How much of your prospect have you drilled? I think you're, you're suggesting possibly a target of three to five million ounces. Yeah. So, the, I mean, this is one of the reasons uh, we internally are so enthusiastic about this project. 
we've done resource drilling, i.e. we've got holes close enough together to produce a resource on only two of the 26 areas. And now the four, uh, you know, we are uh, drilling, there's three of our outcropping areas in the, the four vein system. So we're now starting to drill another three. But in terms of resource drilling, we've still only done less than 10% of the total target that we see on the property. So we've mm-hmm. already got close to a million ounces and we're around, you know, 10% of the target drilled. So it's another way of sort of saying why we're so uh, intrigued by this project and, and think that the significant potential we have here. Are you planning uh, to are, are you planning to do um, uh, quite a bit more drilling than this year? Are you planning to put together yeah. a, a are, are you are you on the on the, in the process of putting together a bankable feasibility or pre feasibility? What are, what are what are your plans right now? How how far will you take well, this on your own, Ralph? Well, I I think um, that's always the sort of million dollar question. But at the present time, we're doing a 40-hole program at the moment. We're in the middle of it. And we will be drilling not only the Thor, but also our better-known Jumbo area, where we've got a large resource already. Uh, we're going to continue to expand that. And we may get to a new, another new one called the Etna. And then at the end of the year, we'll update our resource. But that will be at the end of the drilling program that we would do okay. that. Mm-hmm. We've presently done... The, uh, but there'll be a lot of news from all this uh, drilling. Uh, we've sure. done 16 holes so far, Jay. So we've, we've got a lot of results you know, in the pipeline. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, where we're going is we want to increase the size of the resource before we meet the production. So sure. uh, you know, we're headed. We obviously would love to get to that three to five million ounces on our own, but we suspect we might become... Uh, quite a pot target uh, before we actually reach that goal. But once we've sort of shown the world that really that sort of potential is there, and and that's what we're trying to do. Ralph, how strong is your treasury now? And uh, are you going to need to raise money anytime soon, or will you do you have enough in the till to take you through this year's work program? No, we're in pretty good shape for our exploration company. We've got uh, sort of $4 million in the till, and... Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be spending about 1.8 million of that on this uh, Gold Springs project this year, so we, we'll be in good stead uh, certainly through the year and uh, well into next year. Uh, mm-hmm. But being uh, an exploration company, you typically have to uh, raise funds as you hopefully have further success. Yeah, with the success, higher share price, a more efficient capital raise, that would be great. Exactly. Uh, just one more question, uh, Ralph, before we leave you go. We're just, just we're yep. basically out of time, but I want to ask you about your B shares. Can you talk very quickly about the B shares? And, and uh, there's a date coming up, I think, that's very important for the B shareholders, right? Well, um, it's, it's okay, B shareholders, we owned a very large silver Indian project in Bolivia, which was X. Appropriated. We did international arbitration, completed the final hearings in July. So that's all done. So now it's up to the arbitrators to uh, decide on what award they're going to make. We are claiming $385 million, and wow. the B shareholders get 85% after costs of any cash award. And the A shareholders, or the common shares, TMI or TMIAF, get the other 15%. Uh, well, that could be, be a quite very nice, non-dilutive financing right there. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one, Ralph, for you. And uh, uh, anything you. else, uh, real quickly, anything else you might want to add to our uh, to our listeners? No, I and, think and it's, uh, yeah. No, I think they, maybe a, a sort of finale would be just to say that uh, we are in the middle of a drilling program. We have had some good results. The next set of results should be from this same zone. Uh, so we obviously internally are hoping for good things, and it might be a, a really good time to take a look at the stock. Right. The shares haven't moved that much in the last few uh, with, with no, this new upturn. Uh-huh. So uh, so I, I agree with you very much, Ralph. Thank you very much for being with us today. And uh, uh, just one final note I might mention. I think you mentioned, Ralph, your uh, 5% discounted NPV was $130 million. That compares with yeah. your current market cap of $35 million, And that was based on no. uh, what gold price, Ralph, was that based on? your 1300 PA? 1300. 1300. About where we are now, yeah. then, a little below. Yeah. All right, excellent. Yeah. Well, it is an exciting story, Ralph. Thank you very much for being with us today. And we'll look to update our listeners sometime in the future again. Thank you very much. And thank you, Jay. Well, folks, don't go away. We do have to take a commercial break. When we come back, Alana Mercer is going to be with us to talk about her new book, um, The Trump Revolution, The Donald's Creative Destruction Deconstructed. It should be a very interesting conversation with Alana. So don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Alana Mercer. Alana was with us in the past, uh, oh, a couple, two, three years ago, perhaps. Maybe it's longer than that. I don't know, but it was, it was a while ago, too long ago, uh, to talk about Into the Cannibal's Pot. Lessons for America from from post-apartheid South Africa. And the title of that book uh, is, is meant uh, as a metaphor, of course, and it, but it was uh, inspired by Ayn Rand's counsel against pro, uh, prostrating civilization to savagery. Uh, but today we want to talk to Alana about her latest and very timely book titled The Trump Revolution, The Donald's Creative Destruction Deconstructed. Welcome, Alana, and thanks for joining me again. Hi, Jay, and you know that book that you are actually uh, very fond of, Into the Cannibal's Pot, uh, if I recall, is still the go-to book about 
post-democratic um, South Africa. Right. And, uh, I should say post-apartheid South Africa. Post-apartheid, and uh, yes. democracy isn't necessarily all it's cracked up Absolutely, to be. Absolutely, exactly. I misspoke. Okay, so now let me just ask you, um, before we start to talk about your new book, uh, just a question, a, a thought about Inside the Cannibal's Pot. Is America prostrating its civilization to savagery, as South Africa has, uh, according to your book? Well, you know, I just saw that that Into the Cannibal's Pot is still um, a bestseller in post-colonial studies, and Uh its relevance has just increased, um, especially in the movement of um, our country into a dominant party state, which is uh, one of the the underlying uh, uh, premises of of the book, Into the Cannibal's Pot. In other mm-hmm. words, the rapid uh, overnight transfer of power from um, from um, you know the national party, uh, the minority to the majority, has um, you know ushered in a politics of brute force where yeah. a uh, you know a, a dominant party uh, we're going that way dominant party politics yeah uh, where voting is actually predicated on a um, you know a very muscular. Uh, galvanization of identity politics and race. Hmm. That's, uh, I, I guess the people that love Nietzsche might like that. Uh, the, the, the philosophers of, of uh, Nietzsche, the great philosopher, the right makes might makes right. Um, you know, exactly. mobocracy. Some people have called democracy mobocracy essentially. So that if the majority of people think a certain way, then uh, to hell with the minority. I guess mm-hmm. right. Yep, that's, um, that's, the cannibal that's, is the go-to book, and 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 what pleases me greatly, and I don't want to uh, go back there, but um, the the book is really used to you um, to help refugees because it make, makes an excellent case, both factually and theoretically, um, for the minority group there. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, I said that was certainly something that our founders were concerned about: uh, minority rights mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and why we uh, we were never supposed to be a, a democracy. We were a republic, and uh, so mm-hmm. somehow with Woodrow Wilson, we got away from that, I guess. And uh, we make the world safe for democracy, so that I guess the world can self-destruct. It seems to me. Well, anyway, yes, I'm not supposed to be editorializing. Trump, Donald Trump has not liked that concept of. Uh, Making the world uh, nation building and and uh, exporting democracy, our form of democracy. So in that sense, he's been quite firm. Um, you know, yeah. sovereignty, the sovereign rights of nations, right? Which seems to be another topic, uh, another uh, thrust away from the notion that countries have sovereign rights. Trump stands to be more for for sovereign rights, does he not? And America first, yes. And I know that. Yeah. Uh, you are somewhat uh, in trepidation about populism, but um, it doesn't always have a bad connotation. Yeah. Well, we uh, we certainly talked last week uh, to Lou Rockwell about it, and one of the things he said was he he's no big fan of Donald Trump, but one of the things he does like about him is he seems to have all the right enemies. Well, uh, the the premise of my book is is uh, is really um, it elevates the argument. Uh, in the sense that it's not so much about policy, but it's about process. Uh, uh-huh. You know, we've tended to speak about corruption, and you asked me about that in the uh, discussions we had prior to this interview, uh, in a very fragmented way before um, BT, before Trump. Um, uh-huh. You know, we, we would uh, we'll point towards the revolving door that sees 
politicians, when they die, uh, you know, political death, go to lobbyist heaven. And that's our yes. idea of, of corruption. But um, Trump, via his positions and brute honesty and in absolute flouting of political correctness, has really got this entire intertwined machine oscillating. Um, and they're still having this grand mall fit. Um, you know, and you asked me a little bit about the entrenched uh, system that I delineate in in the book, and yes. I talk about the the. Uh, um, it's not the tit for tat politics. Who's more corrupt, um, the Dems or the Republicans? But you really yeah. have a an enmeshed uh, punditocracy uh, intelligentsia that's not very intelligent. You have slick big media and religious politicians, Dems and Republicans. And all of them are convulsing in one big, grand, um, you know, frenzy. So, in a sense, Trump, uh, and he has achieved this already, is acting like what I call in the book, in the Trump Revolution, a political Samson who's threatening to bring, bring this, this uh, how, would, how would you say, a den of iniquity crashing down on its patrons. And we liberty lovers mustn't take for granted what he has achieved so far. Um, because to get this this um, ossified evil system shaking and shuddering as it is, basically all the forces, you know, this alphabet soup of, of acronyms that stand for statism, if it's GOP, yeah. DNC, RNC, throw in one, my friend, NRO, NATO, WTO, NAFTA, they are all the people who are vested in these uh, statist um, arrangements that, that bypass the people, actually rising on their hind legs and not for truth but in defense of their realm so my book uh, the trump revolution is really a book about the process of trump and and this kind of achievement and mm -hmm. he's challenged he's challenged the political players nationally internationally and they are all frenzied so he has achieved a great deal so far uh, and in a sense this is good for liberty and that's why i call this creative destruction mm-hmm well, he certainly does have uh, the establishment shaking in their boots, no question about it. And uh, uh, you just have to wonder what kind of games will be played to try to stop him. I, I, I think it's very interesting to note as we speak today <clears throat> that the Rasmussen poll, and I, I haven't looked at a lot of different polls, but that's one I know that's had a pretty good track record, it actually mm -hmm. has uh, Donald Trump... Uh, slightly ahead, I think, by a point or two. So I, I was very, uh, I've been very sort of pessimistic about his chances. Uh, not really been terribly enthusiastic about him, but I hear what you're saying. The, the destruction of this system. The, the question that I always have is, uh, will there be something better or might there be something even worse that comes afterwards? Well, I don't think we can predict the future, can we? Yeah, um, no, but all so we know is this this uh, man has done uh, single-handedly because never has there been an entire system against one person, has there? Uh, no. And single-handedly, he has begun prodding all these complexes, which I um, address in the book, whether it's the conservative complex, which, was, which so far has been neoconservative entrenched. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty frayed, and believe me, I'm in, in, in the trenches having written a weekly column, uh, um, I would say a superb weekly column for almost two decades, uh, which hasn't exactly ingratiated itself on, on libertarians. I do find that the neocons and, uh, 
assorted websites which were very close to our opinion are, you know, welcoming me, touch wood. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there has been considerable change, and we cannot, um, we cannot dis disregard it or discount what he has done so far. But essentially, you know, this is a book about, Trump Revolution is a book about process, less about policy. Sure, um, sure. And, and uh, you, are, you asked uh, me uh, essentially a very interesting question about um, something that, that, that piqued your interest was the play-by-play, -play for play, the, is the Clinton way, you know, the cash, the Clinton yes. cash. And yes, so we yes. tend to get bogged down, Jay, by, um, you know, these tit-for-tat arguments, rather. You know, who's worse, the Dems or the other ghetto yeah, or right, the other gang right. of predators, right? And Clinton cash, <laughs> for me, really falls into uh, that paradigm, you know, that, um, oh, let's follow the trail of evidence. It's horrific. Of course it is. But equally, if you follow uh, Genghis Bush... If you mm -hmm. follow those breadcrumbs to the palace sure. of Prince, Prince Bandar, haven't we heard of that of late, of Saud? Yes. Um, then, then Bush yeah. and the Republican establishment is just as bad. Uh, I mean, the 9-11 family should be as disgusted at Bush for finessing the role of the Saudi government in 9-11 as the Benghazi families are with Hillary. So for us, it really has to be about transcending the evils of the duopoly um, and to look beyond this, this tit-for-tat argument. And I think systemically, the guy has really threatened them. No question about it. Um, I, I, I think before we go any further, I failed to mention uh, when I introduced you, uh, your website is Alana Mercer, I-L-A-N-A-M-E-R-C-E-R.com, Alana Mercer. Uh, and your blog is barelyablog.com, right? Yes, and is that where people should, that, people should go to follow your work and also uh, can uh, uh, follow the trail to buy your book as well? And uh, Yes, and follow it to Amazon. And uh, certainly follow me on Twitter and on Facebook where you and I are connected. And uh, I am, uh, the author page is uh, the, a paleo-libertarian paleo author, Alana Mercer. And that will be great to hear from your listeners. Alana, I, I uh, at first took Donald Trump as kind of a joke when he ran uh, with the other with the other candidates in the Republican Party. Uh, I quickly started to, to see him um, catch on, as everybody did. I mean, it was a, was it a surprise to you at all? You know, no. I liked what he was doing from the get go. Um... I have this, uh, you know, that this is why I was ostracized on, let me see, the 19th of September 2002 by the Republicans who initially embraced me when I appeared on the scene because I came out against uh, the Bush war, which many even lighter libertarians were for, not our hardcore friends, of course. So, no, yeah. I, I saw this coming. I was very excited about what he was doing, especially as a person who was unhindered by the super PACs. Um, I think what's very important is for libertarians to distinguish between, and this I find lacking um, in libertarian thinking about Trump, is distinguishing the incentives that underlie uh, his impetus and his rivals. In other words, we need to look at what motivates someone in the private sector, and this is what we're good at, right? Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. are the incentives that propel the inverse and the corrupt and the obscene incentives that propel the political class, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was quite excited about that because I saw none of the um, 
political correctness and the super PAC uh, reverence hindering this man. Mm -hmm. I almost saw a a sort of gruff noblesse oblige uh, in the, well, maybe in the tradition of great American industrialists. We have that in our tradition. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, incentivizes Trump? I mean, certainly he doesn't need the money. Uh, you know, the Clintons have, uh, somebody pointed out that the Clintons were the first presidential family to really get rich following the presidency. Bill Clinton wasn't especially wealthy before. Uh, you know, we had other presidents. I think Roosevelt was quite wealthy. Kennedy, of course, was. The Bushes were, uh, have been, you know, very, very wealthy, having their banking connections going way back. But, um, you know, the Clintons made, they, they come in not, not wealthy, and now they are very wealthy, supposedly. What drives Donald Trump? Well, I think this is, again, something that I, I don't seem to be able to get my libertarian friends, friends to, to, to understand. I mean, he's a man operating from the private sector. I uh-huh. mean, this is, this, is, this is not a politician, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Every libertarian worth his salt should be capable of distinguishing political incentives from those motivating a private sector actor. Mm -hmm. So when all of his rivals, um, which he he, uh, beat, um, you know, were... were, Look, Trump is not a perfect paragon of of free market capitalism. We know that because we don't don't have free market capitalism. He's a survivor, and sometimes he wades into very dirty waters, very polluted waters. But he has grown rich by building resorts, uh, which he has never forced you and me to frequent or to pay for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the Mm -hmm. tradition of the founders, he has even forsworn a salary were he to be elected. Has that been Mm -hmm. published at all or publicized? No. (laughs) No. I mean, can you imagine if Bush said, I'm giving up my salary, I'm working for you, it would be emblazoned across the skies, right? Yeah. Um, Certainly if uh, if Obama did that or or Hillary did that, certainly. These people are in it in order to establish their fiefdoms in politics. And his incentives are exactly the opposite. So to win the primaries, he pledged... How, how would what we say a, a chunk of his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor? He did not mm-hmm. pledge the, the, a chunk of super PAC wealth, right? No. So simply by looking at these vast differences in incentive, incentive structure, we have to concede that he is different. At least right-thinking libertarians must understand that whether you like him or not, he is morally superior to a politician. You know, Alana, I, I, much has been made, uh, and he's been demonized for saying that he could get along with Vladimir Putin. Well, wh- what would be so wrong with that? What would be so wrong with having a, uh, a a trading relationship, a good relationship, a commercial relationship with another country like Russia? It could perhaps actually help us to be friendly. And uh, if you had free trade between the two countries, I can just imagine that Trump probably is saying. Hmm, I wouldn't mind building a hotel or two in, in Russia, starting in Moscow. Yeah, and, and don't we love that? Or at least yeah, why, that? What's, yeah. yeah, I mean, as libertarians, we love that, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. We don't want, and I think the, the um, average American, and, and this is the Trump populists, don't want to see war, uh, war with Russia. And, um, you know, they're not interested in that. They want to see peace at home, comity with, with uh, the nations of the world, Commerce that is fair, right? Um, 
And this is what appeals to Trump. And even if they don't understand liberty, because that, that worried you too when we were discussing uh, the, yes. you know, in the build-up to, to... You said that, that, liberty, that uh, American people don't understand liberty and gravitate um, towards dependence. But even if they don't understand liberty in the, in, in the abstract as we do, they do understand what makes for uh, safe neighborhoods, you mm-hmm. know, Yes, less, yes, less yes. murdered by Muslim and migrant. <laughs> well, right, exactly. Simple yeah. things. And these things are make up for organic liberty, you know? Exactly. Well, what do you think the uh, uh, the propagandists on the other side, the Hillarites, are going to are going to do? I mean, I can remember. I'm old enough to remember. I don't suppose you are, Ilana. I think you're much younger than I am. But I remember Barry Goldwater's uh, uh, campaign. And the mushroom cloud, and of course, uh, Barry Goldwater was going to get us into World War Three. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying to do the same thing with Trump, uh, perhaps. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, well, I mean, they're they're probably trying to uh, to say that Trump would be the more dangerous because he doesn't have any foreign policy experience, and he's a madman, mm-hmm. and I don't oh, yes, want him. You. I don't want his finger on the button. I've heard Hillary say so. Um, what what are your thoughts? What do you where do you think the establishment's going to come after after Trump? What what do you think they're going to try to do to stop him? Well, as I say in the Trump revolution, the toss up really is clear. You know, in the uh, the 2006 election, and that's between submitting to the Dems and the, their war on whites, uh, on wealthy and Walmart, right? Uh-huh, or we uh-huh. could be bedeviled by a regular uh, Jeb exclamation mark Republican. Um, mm-hmm. And and he was about a war on the world. Russia, China, Assad, the Ayatollahs, you name it, he was going to war on them. And in the case of Hillary, um, it's it's the perils of both. You yes. know, Hillary will combine all that, all the above. So Hillary is yeah. by far an ex- a, a very dangerous candidate. Um, so, so I think that... Uh, I think Trump's foreign policy speeches have certainly allayed um, the fact that, that that he's far more moderate than she is. Of course, I don't like his promise to to bomb to bomb ISIS, and and yeah. I, I would venture, you know, if you want to stop mur- uh, murder by, by migrant, let's say by Mexican migrant, do you bomb Mexico? No. So, by yeah. logical extension. Here you have the Bush Doctrine again in, in operation. Oh, in order to prevent them from coming here, we need to bomb them over there. How has that yeah. worked? And what's well, I think that, yeah, you certainly could make the point, as Ron Paul did when he ran for president, that the reason they over, they're over here is because we are over there. And I think that makes an awful lot of it's sense. But it seems yeah, to be, Absolutely. Partly yeah. the case. Partly the case. Yeah. You know, Alana, with just a minute left, uh, I just this isn't fair to you. We should have given you more time. But um, Oh, I can come on again. Well, we, we we have to do that sometime soon. But uh, just just to get an idea, um, uh, now I've, I've I've lost my train of thought. Uh, any any closing uh, comments you might want to make with just a minute left? Well, I think the book is would appeal to all your listeners because it's not a partisan book. Uh, the Trump Revolution, no, for sure published not. by the no. way in Ju- in June twenty ninth this year, but it's a pro freedom work and basically it speaks to any independent thinking individual. Um, because as a paleo-libertarian, I do not root for this or the other political faction, but for individual freedom, and that has to be optimized within a decentralized organic system. And I think what the Trump revolution achieves is to deconstruct 
um, the process of Trump, not the politics so much of Trump, but the process, and commend this candidate for really beginning um, to poke at the at this uh, incredibly corrupt political political system that we labor under, and that All is right, a good well, thing. We'll have to leave it go at that. Alana, thank you so much for being with us. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, that is all the time we have today. F. William Engdahl will be with us next week to discuss his recent trip to China, where he talked about his new book uh, to do with the new Silk Road. And also, uh, we expect he'll make some comments on the new Snowden movie. So, hope to see you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barrick's Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under consideration by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange.